You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome to the Dado Download Podcast, a part of the Pear Style Podcast family of shows. I'm Shotgun Spratling alongside co-host Jack Smith, and we're here to bring you the latest on the USC baseball program, the greatest college baseball program in all the land, having won 12 national championships, twice as many as the next closest school. Jack, how are we doing today? I'm doing very well. Got another four games on tap this week. The Trojans will head away from Dado, where they had a very, very good week last week. Yeah, before we get into anything... I got to ask you, you know, I got to tell you, actually, I'm a little bit jealous, I'm a little bit jealous. So I got to ask you about, you know, what happened. It's not your boyish good looks, your lack of gray hair, your future, bright, your bright future in sports. Not necessarily all that. Maybe a little bit jealous of that. But I'm jealous that you got to be in the building to experience some of the USC UCLA baseball action at full tilt this weekend. We haven't really seen that in a while. 2015 was probably the last time where both teams were pretty good teams and it really meant something. But you were there calling the games on radio. What was the atmosphere like there at Dado with multiple sellouts, some late inning drama, a little bit of everything this weekend? Yeah, so I've been to most, if not all, home games this year. And the Friday game, which was the, the opening game of the series, the only one that USC lost was a completely different environment than any other home game for the year. They listed attendance at about 2,057 people, I believe it was. But you could not have fit another person in that building there were people in the bleachers down right field that completely filled it up place they haven't really opened up all year you had every seat filled there were people in standing room only just watching from from the pavilion like on the concourse there were people getting food people in the bathroom like you could not fit any more people in there and though usc didn't give them a ton to cheer about kind of towards the mid late part of the game early in the game it was so loud you had the band you had the song girls you had even the trojan knights there it was super loud it was a lot of booze raining out for ucla fans and the UCLA players, it was really, it sounded like you were in the Coliseum at certain parts and it, it something you hadn't seen uh, it, at Dado Field really all year. And then it was the same thing for the next two games of the series. And on Sunday, when it was a very tense environment and USC ended up winning on the walk-off, it was the exact same thing. But imagine if you had put a USC win on the field as well. Yeah, it looked really fun. You know, I caught you know each of the games or at least part of each of the games uh, on stream while I was in Morgantown, West Virginia, um, and, you know, it's kind of a small campus, West Virginia is, but basically the entire state of West Virginia is West Virginia fans. So they're good this year. So they were pretty rowdy. And I was kind of curious, let's see how USC, now that they're getting some momentum back, how the, the atmosphere would be after being at the Friday night game um, in West Virginia, say, okay, let's see how Dato is. And it looked like it was rocking. So I, I do have to say I'm a little bit jealous that I wasn't able to be there to experience it because it's been, like I said, a long time since they've had that atmosphere, which is great to see, and it's great to see that the team was able to play in that environment and have it feed them. I mean, that's the thing that you want with that home crowd is, okay, if you're going to have a big crowd, you got that buzz going, can you feed off of it and give them something to cheer about? Um, I thought it was very interesting. Andy Stankowitz said that to the team after uh, the Saturday win um, and said, hey, 
you know, we're building this towards the future and what we want to do, but this is what it's about is having your friends, having your family, uh, you know, putting on a show for all those people, the alumni, everything. Um, and, and, you know, as you're building it, getting them interested and having them be excited about the program. That's what it seemed like this weekend. And even better for USC and their fans is they came out with a, a series win, a big series win. We're going to get into all that a little bit more. But last week, we were able to have USC head coach Andy Stankowitz on the Dado Download podcast. This week, we're hoping to have another special guest as Trojans legend and pitching coach, Seth Etherton, slated to join us a bit later. We're waiting for a specific pocket of time and his busy schedule kind of open up. So while we wait, Jack, let's jump in and break down this past week, where the Trojans stand right now, and we'll take a look forward at this week's matchups. So let's take it back, actually, to last week, where USC comes back home from getting swept in Corvallis at Oregon State. Needs to get back, uh, you know, get back on track. Needs to get things going in the right direction. And that's what exactly what they were able to do against CSUN. And people may say, oh, it's CSUN. This was actually an important game for USC because, one, like I said, get back on track, that's that's big. But it was, a, it was an RPI boost, too. You know, they moved back up in, in the RPI a bit with that win against CSUN. Uh, what kind of stood out to you in that that midweek game um, coming off the, a bad weekend for USC to find a way to, to get, a, get a win against CSUN? Yeah, so that was the day that we did get to talk with Andy Sankowitz and came out of that and, and was getting ready to go to the game. And I kind of realized, still don't know who the starting pitcher is for USC. And we have seen some different guys get the start on Tuesdays, whether it be Agassi or Soderston, and didn't feel like Soderston could go after the way he pitched on Sunday. Through, I think he threw four innings on Sunday. So you figure he wasn't an option. Wasn't sure whether they'd roll with Agassi again. And then as we're getting you know to the stadium, learn that Mikey Ebner is getting his first start after making just one appearance for USC all year. So a big game. You need to stop the losing streak. And they're turning to... A kid who hadn't made his start yet it didn't go super well early but after that I, I thought it was the bullpen that really stood out to me specifically Toby Spock had um, really the, the game of his season so far two and a third innings five strikeouts uh, he was he was really great and gave USC kind of the length they needed to bridge the gap that Ebner didn't really fill didn't go super deep into the game so Spock was able to fill that up and then the offense responded from being down 3-1 they'd eventually go up I believe it was eight to four before a run scored in the eighth inning so they ended up getting the win um, it was the bullpen as well as the offense being able to respond after going down early that that really stood out to me yeah and they were facing Kiji Polaris who's a guy who'd been a weekend starter for CSUN at part uh, part of the season so you know that's the guy they were able to get for five runs in the middle of the game so I thought that was you know, notable that they were able to get it against a guy that, you know, Seaside's really trusted this season. I mean, it, it was the same old customers, you know, Bryce Martin, Grozalonic drove in two runs, Cole Gabrielson, um, you know, and then Connor Clift, I, I think he's been swinging the bat really well. Um, you know, they used an actual lineup with two catchers in it with, you know, with uh, Connor Cliff playing at the DH spot and Connor Aoki, and both the guys stood out to me. You know, uh, Cliff hits the home run. Um, and then Connor Aoki also has a home run, drives in three runs in the game. So, you know, there was a game for the, the catchers to really shine in this one. And I thought the Toby Spock outing was maybe even the most important thing that, that came out of the, the full week because, you know, you're getting to a point in the season where guys start to get worn down when you use them a lot. Um, and we'll ask, you know, uh, Coach Atherton about this. We get him on. But, you know, Try, they're trying to find a couple more arms to help bridge the gap, guys. They can get them to those back end guys, but also guys that can fill in some of those voids. You know, so you don't have to use your your top end guys every single time out of the bullpen. So uh, you know, he goes two and a third, strikes out five guys, no walks. He has a wild pitch, but one hit. 
Doesn't hit anybody. No walks, no hit, hit by pitches. That's a huge thing right there. Now, he's still a little bit all over the zone, um, which is kind of what he does. But he's got legit stuff if he can harness it enough and put it in the square uh, and throw a couple strikes with it. So I thought it was really big because it has been about two weeks since he had pitched. So to get him back on track, I thought was really big. Unfortunately, Jaden Agassi didn't have the same success. I was hoping when he came in after him that you know USC would get you know similar. Uh, they're still trying to get him back on track. You know if they can get him, Toby Spock and Fisher Johnson, you know that just elongates everything for them. So I think seeing those three guys and for two of them to have success, I, honestly, I feel like if if they they feel like if they get five and a third innings between those three guys, which they giving up one run. I think they would take that every single time they could. If they can get two of those guys being successful in a game, I think they're going to see it as a win every single time. So I, I, that was the big takeaway for me is to see those guys all have some success. Uh, Agassi even having success the first inning, I think it was, and then he gave up a run in the second one. But, you know, I, I think that's a big thing going forward. Besides the win and getting back on track is those those small things like, okay, what does this mean further down the picture? And that, you know, the, getting the bullpen – possibly having some added pieces that you can trust one on the midweeks, but also, you know, if you're not in a one run game, can you trust a Toby Spock to come in? Can you trust, uh, you know, Fisher Johnson? And we saw both those guys in UCLA didn't necessarily have the same amount of success, but it also did say, Hey, we're going to trust you and give you that opportunity. So they had earned it on the Tuesday and they saw him come back on the weekend. Now they got to continue to earn some more opportunities as well. But that takes us to Friday. You, you, UCLA comes into town Obviously, a ranked opponent, um, you know, coming in at number 22, I believe it was, in our D1 baseball rankings. And it just wasn't there on Friday. You know, Tyler Strongsburg, second week in a row where he struggled out the gate. You know, he struggled in the first couple innings um, and, you know, takes him a couple innings to get settled in. And then it was good. It gave him a little bit of length and, you know, saved the bullpen a little bit the rest for the rest of the weekend. But on Friday night, when you're facing a Friday guy in the Pac-12, you, you can't wait two innings and kind of get things going what, what kind of stood out to you from that Friday loss? Yeah, you know, Strom's work was hit around a little bit early. The thing that really stuck out to me was the error that he made in the second inning. He, with the bases loaded, I believe, I don't know if it was bases loaded or not, but they went to squeeze bunt, and Strom's work had a play at the plate, but he like kind of stopped and then overhand threw it from about four feet away from Aoki and threw it to the backstop when an underhand flip or a glove flip would have gotten the runner out at home, would have been a free out, if not maybe two, for USC in a big situation. I thought that if they had made that play, could have kept them in the game. I think it would have kept it a tied 1-1 game, but instead two runs end up coming into score. And then at that point, it's 3-1. Two more runs score in that inning. It's 5-1. And you just felt with Jake Brooks on the mound for UCLA and you know the way that USC hadn't been able to get that one big hit that it was going to be kind of an insurmountable lead and it ended up being a 9-3 win but I felt like that was the turning point where it was a big situation Stromsburg had dealt with so much stress early they gave him a gift with a bad bunt right back at him and he threw it away back to the backstop and after that you know it kind of felt like UCLA was able to put it on cruise control a little bit but one of the big things that we did end up seeing was USC did for some reason make UCLA use some of their bigger relievers you had Kelly Austin coming in for two and two thirds Cody Del Vecchio for one and a third and that was really key for that Sunday game where both those guys had to come in again both those guys gave up some runs and Del Vecchio was the guy that gave up the last hit to Gabrielson and the walk-off win so for some reason I think UCLA despite having a big lead wanted to go to some of their big power arms and I think that set them back for Sunday so at least kudos for USC to for keeping it close enough to have UCLA feel like they needed to bring in some of those relievers and then lengthen them out uh, and, and get those pitch counts up because both those guys threw just about 
five pitchers or more. And Austin himself threw 45. Yeah. And I think you look at that. It was at that point, it was eight to three and USC was gaining a little bit of momentum. It felt like, uh, you know, Austin O'Vern triples again. Um, and Mar- uh, Martin Grizzlonic grounds out, gets him in. So makes it, uh, makes it five, three at that point, actually in the fifth inning. And so then they decide, okay, we're going to go to Kelly Austin uh, in, in that sixth. Uh, and, you know, that was kind of interesting. They had added a couple runs, but I thought it was very interesting just that they went to Kelly Austin just because I expected him to be starting on Sunday. And then, you know, they're bringing him in. Like I said last week, I think he's, you know, you know, I've had other coaches tell me they think he's the best arm in that starting rotation. Well, now he's not even starting rotation. So I was curious to see how they were planning to use him. And if you can use him twice a weekend, I mean, that's a weapon potentially to have. But like you said, he threw 45 pitches in that one and then had to come back on a day's rest. So, you know, not as sharp. And USC was able to score some runs off him. And same thing with Del Vecchio. But I I think part of it is Jake Brooks went five innings for them, their Friday starter. And you want to get six to seven minimum out of your Friday starter just to save the bullpen for the rest of the weekend. We've talked about that in the past. But he threw 87 pitches. And that, you know, so in five innings, it's not like he had a big walk total, not like there were a ton of hits. But that just tells me that USC's batters were grinding out of bats. And even though they weren't having a ton of success, they were, you know, they were working the at bats and working that pitch count up a little bit. And that's something they've done all season. It's been one of those small, tiny things that don't stand out in a box score, but have been one of the things that have helped them get to where they are right now. And I thought Stromsborg, like you said, in that second inning, um, and I didn't get to watch this, so I'm just going through the box score and I see, oh, a throwing error. I didn't see exactly what happened because um, I wasn't back in my hotel room at the time yet. But, you know, like you said, there was an opportunity to get out of that inning. If he gets an out right there, it's a runner on third because there was two guys on. There was a runner on second, third. There's a runner on first and third with two outs. And, you know, maybe he gets out of the inning unscathed on, with the next, uh, you know, the next batter or something instead. He gives up a hit by pitch. He gives up a double. He gives up a you know a, a ground out that scores a run too. So it goes from being potentially a two one game if they score a run, they get the run home from third to instead being a five one game. And you know they were able to you know with UCLA's pitching, especially on Friday, they're going to be able to keep that lead pretty safe. So you know I thought that you know when you mentioned how it kind of played out, that really tells you the thing. But I do give Strong for credit. You know through two innings, he'd thrown a ton of pitches. In those, in those two frames, and instead he was able to, you know, keep he was able to keep himself in, kind of settle down, and he goes five and a third innings, um, and you know pitches in the sixth inning to save some of those arms, and then we saw Toby Spock, we saw Frankie Johnson, uh, you know, those guys had to, you know, here's your opportunity, see what you can do, and you had mixed results for sure, um, and that's why those guys haven't been able to get those consistent opportunities. And Frankie Johnson had a pretty good outing. He's the one guy that's had the most, you know, opportunities outside the big four in the bullpen. So it's still trying to find somebody that can throw strikes for one. I mean, Ethan Hoopengardner came in, walked four guys. Uh, Evan Clark came in, walked both guys he faced. So that's the biggest thing is finding guys that can throw strikes, but then, you know, having some success. So that'll be big, you know, because they were trying to save those big four arms and not use them on Friday. And you saw the difference, the dichotomy, UCLA using their big arms and what happened on Sunday versus USC having all those guys get more fresh. So I I think that was a great point by you pointing out that. Take us to Saturday, USC, they've lost four Pac-12 games in a row now. They lost, I think, five of six at this point um, or or four or five and looked like they could be headed towards a a fifth loss out of six games. What stood out to you on that Saturday game? Well, I think it's one of the guys that we've talked about the most since we started the podcast, and that's Caden Aoki. He was 
a true stopper in all sense of in all sense of the word. Six and a third innings pitched. He only allowed four hits to UCLA. One of them was a home run for his only earned run that he allowed. He had eight strikeouts. He pitched 93 pitches for USC and was able to give them some length. And then they only needed to use two relievers the rest of the way to get the win. And then on offense, they were down early. It was one nothing. And then after that, UCLA didn't score. It was Carson Wells hit a double down the line. And then everything kind of opened up in that sixth inning. An Olmstead home run. And then Ryan Jackson had a single to score another two runs. So USC only scores in one inning, um, but that's enough to get it done. And one thing I didn't note about Friday is USC actually did out hit UCLA and didn't come away with the win because they walked those nine guys. And here's another day where they do out hit UCLA 11 to four, but they actually win it on the scoreboard this time, five to one. Uh, I mean, I, the thing that stood out to me is that Johnny Olmstead hit a ball that was yeah. about to hit the ground, it looked like. I mean, it was barely above his ankles. He goes down and gets it. That's a good pitch. Now it's in the mm-hmm. middle of the plate, but you know, you can pitch in the middle of the plate if you're th- if you're pitching beneath the zone like that. You know, I, I would used to throw change ups a lot right in the middle of the plate because if they're gonna dive down below the zone, you're gonna get guys to just roll over it usually. He gets a breaking ball and stays on it and goes down and golfs that out. Um, you, you know, someone, you know, put him on Tiger Woods golf or something because mm-hmm. that, that was, uh, you know, uh, elite hitting right there. And that's one of, as a pitcher, you just tip your cap to and you go, okay, I can't just hit a really good pitch. And, you know, what, what am I supposed to do about that? But I think that jump started USC. You know, they, they had tied the game right before that. Um, but to take the lead and do it in that fashion, you know, with a big home run and the fans come alive, the, you know, and they were, you know, we were able to kind of build on that and get those extra two runs. On the ball, it goes off. You know, if uh, the third baseman, Kyle Karras, doesn't hit it with his glove, then maybe that ball doesn't get through. Maybe nobody scores on that. Instead, two-run score. Um, you know, so that was, a you know, a big play, too, just to get, create that separation so that, you know, you have a little bit of breathing room. And Kyle Wish comes in. I thought he was outstanding, too. Uh, his two innings, no hits, no walks, two strikeouts, only 21 pitches. Um, but Kate Naoki was fantastic again. Um, what is it? Six appearances since returning from his injury, three and oh, 0.61 ERA, 0.88 whip. He's thrown 29 and a third innings. He's got 31 Ks, only 19 hits and two runs given up. I mean, he's been outstanding for them. His development has churned the entire weekend process around for USC. And we mentioned this last week when we were talking with, with Andy Stankowitz, but the fact that they have him on Saturdays and they know, okay, we're going to get six innings out of this guy and we're going to be in the game every single time, that's such a confidence builder, one, because, hey, if you lose on Friday, all right, we're going to even the series up. Our guy's on the mound. Aoki's going to give us a, you know, he's going to give us a gym. And that's how it kind of feels right now if you're in that dugout is, oh, all right, Caden's got the ball. We're good. We got this win. Or you win on Friday and you're like, all right, we're going to go out and win the series right now. And then we'll ha- we'll go for a sweep on Sunday. Like he's pitching so well right now that everyone on the team has confidence when he takes the ball. Um, and, and I think that, that it's not overpowering stuff, but he's pitching so well. And that's something that blends out into, you know, into your teammates. You know, when you're watching that as a pitcher, you go, okay, I don't have a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, but Caden doesn't have a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. Look what he's doing. If I just hit my spots – Okay, look what I can do as well. Um, and he, you know, obviously the changeup is really good, but he's pitching really well. And I think that's bleeding into the rest of the team. I think it just gives more confidence to the rest of the staff when you see someone go out there and do that. So, uh, and I mentioned it, you know, the the post game. Here's the actual quote that, that Andy Stankwitz said. He said, "We gave these people a show tonight. Part of building back the tradition and getting to where we want is making our friends, alumni, fans excited." And I think you definitely could could say that. And you, you know, I mean, you were there. You could, uh, you know. 
speak to it a little bit more, but you know, what was the atmosphere like in that that sixth inning when suddenly, you know, USC's basically been beat up for half a series. They've been dominated for half a series and suddenly they turn things around. What was the atmosphere like when that happened? It's just kind of everyone realizing things are starting to go USC's way now where, you know, they do have that ball that bounces off Karos's glove. You, you have Olmstead hit a pitch that he should not be able to hit a home run on out of the park. Um, and, and you just, you knew when Aoki was on the mound, or at least I knew that USC was going to be in the game, you know, that wasn't going to be a blowout like, like game one ended up being. Um, and then that sixth inning, they kind of turned everything around. It felt to me like UCLA kept Alonzo Treadwell out for one too many innings. You know, he went out there. They had gotten his pitch count up a decent amount through the first five, and he had pitched pretty well, but they were playing with fire, putting him out there one more, and then USC made him pay with those with those five runs. Um, but it just kind of felt like things were coming back around. After four straight Pac-12 losses, things were kind of starting to go USC's way, and they ended up finally getting – you know, the hits they needed with the runners in scoring position. Yeah, that's a great point because that Ryan Jackson bases loaded hit uh, that, you know, they had taken the lead bases loaded right before that Ethan Hedges struck out. They had the same situation, I think, in the third inning where they had bases loaded, one out and got nothing out of it. Ethan Hedges struck out and they had a, and Ryan Jackson hit a ball to shortstop hit decent, but, you know, fielder's choice and they were out. UCLA was out of the inning. This time it comes up. Now USC has already taken the lead at this point in the Olmstead home run. So it's already a big inning for them. But can you separate? And Hedges strikes out again, but Ryan Jackson picks him up, gets that ball through the through the left side, two run score. Suddenly it's five one instead of you know three one. But who started all that? I don't know if you remember. Who's the fire starter for everything on this team? It seems like every time he comes up, something is going to happen. It's Austin O'Vern. He's you know two strike hitting in this in the in that at bat in the sixth inning. He singles to center field and just a solid line drive up the middle. If I remember correctly, they bunt him over. And then Connor Wells hits a double that ties the game. Um, so that started everything. And then Connor uh, Overn comes up later in the inning, walks again. I mean, he's on twice in this inning. We had, we didn't even mention. I didn't know if we were going to save it or what. But the two triples on mm-hmm. Friday to set the record. I mean, I tweeted out, and USC actually used it today in one of their tweets. But he is electric. I I like uh, one of his at bats. Like I said, I missed the first couple innings um, as I was coming back to my hotel from the game I was covering. But I have it up on I have the stream on my phone. Um, and like I have to stop everything. Like I'm like literally in the middle of getting stuff out of my car. And I'm like, I got three bags, and I'm like, all right, I just gotta wait here. It's starting to sprinkle. I don't care. I'm watching Austin O'Vern because you never know what's gonna happen. I don't want to miss another triple. I mean, it's one of the most exciting plays in all baseball, but so I don't want to miss if he hits one in the corner, what's gonna happen, you know, especially with John John Vaughn's out in right field with that power arm he's got. I want to see that matchup battling off. Uh, and you saw that with the ball on Sunday that went through uh, the third, the first baseman. So, you know, he has just been electric and he continues to do it. And I think that's the, kind of the the most impressive thing is that it's really impressive to me that he did so well this week after struggling a little bit against Oregon State. And the fact that John Savage, one of the best pitching coaches on the West Coast, if not the nation, has already seen him. Because since they played earlier in the season, he had a triple against UCLA early in the season. Um, so, you know, he's seen him okay. Watch the tape on everything. John does a really good job with his pitchers making adjustments, pitching to you know the the uh, batter's weaknesses. And he had a monster weekend. I don't know what the stats are exactly off the top of my head, but he was fantastic. So you know the fact that he continues to be the table setter, he's what's making that offense go right now. You know then that's why they can win a low scoring game because he gets on and suddenly you're if you're uh, a defense you're fearful. All right, he might still base. 
All right, they might bunt him over, and then all it takes is a little bloop or a duck fart or a Texas leaguer or whatever because he's going to score because he's so fast. Or, hey, he might hit a ball in the gap and get a triple, and now all they need is a ground ball or a fly ball to get him in um, so they can win those those low-scoring affairs. But he also has the extra base ability to get something big started or, like in that inning, it becomes a five-run inning all starting with Austin O'Vern getting on base. So props to Austin O'Vern. He continues to be absolutely thrilling to watch. And like I said, I literally stop everything I'm doing when he comes up. I'm like, all right, I got to watch this on stream. And there's like, there's a few people that do that. Every year there's a couple guys that like, you know, if I know their game's going to be on, I might check in. LSU when they're playing this year, you know, on Friday nights, I will turn it on and be like, okay, it's Paul Skeen's pitching. I got to watch at least an inning. I got to watch because it's just electric. It's electric stuff. And that's the way Austin O'Vern is right now. Um, so it, it's been fun to watch him grow from being that nine-hole hitter at the very beginning of the year to being that, oh, he's a he's an interesting story because he's a football player, to being he's a dude and he's electric and he's making everything go for this offense right now. Yeah, and him and Martin Grudzelanek at the top, one and two, like you have O'Vern who hits the triple and then you feel like Grudzelanek can do the job. He's either going to bunt him in on a squeeze, he's going to hit a sack fly, he's going to hit a ground ball up the middle to score O'Vern. And right now it's kind of, I really like the way the lineup has been constructed recently. I feel like everyone's kind of finding their spot. We've talked about a guy like Ryan Jackson, who was a big piece of Sunday, which we're going to get to. Uh, but I feel like he's the perfect guy to be in that nine spot because he hit up early in the lineup, early in the year. It wasn't quite hitting enough to stay there, but he gets on base enough um, and puts the ball in play enough to stay at the bottom of the order. And he's like a perfect second leadoff guy for O'Vern who can come in and maybe triple him in or double him in. I really like the way the lineup is working right now. I mean, yeah, the two triples on Friday were probably the most electric moment that the crowd had. The first one, and I was calling it, I wasn't exactly sure what to do because it went off on glove and then <laughs> the center fielder Malachi Knight, when he came over, bobbled it a bit um, and it ended up being the triple. Jokes on UCLA, he ended up hitting another one, so he would have had the record either way. Um, but it was it was an electric moment, and he really didn't slow down all weekend, which, you know, John Savage not being able to figure Austin over and out wasn't really something that I expected coming into the year. And you mentioned Bryce Martin, Grizzlelon, and his ability to get the job done. In the last four games, he's got three hits, nothing spectacular. I think it's a 3-4-13. That's not a great average. That's in the 200s. He's got six RBIs, though. And that's a big thing on on in the Friday game, twice, O'Vern triples, he gets him in. He just knows how to do the job. And like you said, he's a professional hitter, um, has that kind of mentality. And obviously, you know, when you got the bloodlines, you know, dad's going to be like, look, you just get the job done, get the, get the run in. Your RBI total is more important than, you know, you striking out or doing whatever, trying to do too much. So uh, I, I think, it, you know, he, he's been fantastic there behind him and gives some gives somebody that can the, you can do action plays with, whether it be hit and runs, whether it be bunts, different things like that. So uh, that leads us to Sunday. Uh, I did want to say real quick, uh, the 1998 National Championship team was honored before the game. That's a pretty cool moment, especially because John Savage is there, the UCLA head coach who was USC's pitching coach. Uh, hopefully we get a chance to talk to, to uh, Seth Etherton about that moment and seeing his former head coach uh, or pitching coach across the way and, you know, what was that like. Uh, but it was just fun to see how many guys were at, that came out for that. Um, and, you know, that's how long it's been, though. You look at some of those – you know, those aren't elite athlete bodies anymore over there. Uh, some of those guys that are coming on the field, not to be, uh, you know, mean to those guys or whatever, but it's been a while since USC has been good. So to see that team back, and I think that's only going to give those guys, you know, more enthusiasm about the program, the other alumni, because they're going to talk to the other 
teammates that they have, man, you got to check this team out. You got to see this Overn kid, you know, whatever. Um, you know, they're going to be excited about this team after seeing what they did against UCLA on that day. So uh, it was cool to see that they were honored before the game. And, you know, hopefully uh, we'll see some more of that stuff in, in the future. Now, Sunday, what stood out to you most about Sunday? Well, first of all, you know, I feel like in college baseball, it's hard to have an instant classic. You know, there's so many games every season. There's not a whole ton of people that are always paying attention, but this felt like as close as you're going to get. It was so much on the line. We already mentioned, you know, everyone knows the rivalry implications of the series Uh, for USC specifically, really big series in the Pac-12. These two teams were neck and neck in the Pac-12 standings. Whoever won was going to stay above the other school. Um, And USC hadn't won a home series versus UCLA since 2005. So extra on the line for USC in in year one or Andy Stankiewicz. and, and, you know, t- totally lived up to what everyone was expecting the third game to be. And for me, I thought it really had three phases. You had USC taking, you know, a, a decently big lead early on. They scored three runs in the second and third inning combined. You had two homers from Olmstead, who, who went down and got another pitch again and hit it out. Ethan Hedges, who hit what looked to be a routine fly ball to center that kind of carried out, which surprised a lot of people at the stadium. Um, but then it was 2 nothing. And then Martin Grudzalonic hits a double against his former school. You know, he, he transferred from UCLA as part of a big sophomore recruiting class that right now was it dominated like half the UCLA lineup all weekend. So he got a little bit of revenge. It was 3 nothing, And then things started to fall apart midway through the game. Sixth and seventh, UCLA ends up taking a 5-3 lead. They score five unanswered runs. And it just felt like, um, you know, death by a million paper cuts until a big Karos double down the left field line where couldn't have been much of a better pitch right on his hands. Um, but he had been 0 for 11, I think, up to that point in the weekend and just muscled it over Olmstead's head at third. Ends up giving them the lead. It was a, it was a bases clearing double. And at that point, you felt the stadium deflate. You're kind of turning around to people thinking that might be the game. USC had done a good job to stay ahead of this more talented team. But now UCLA has the lead. They're going to have their bullpen guys coming in. But after that, USC gets a gift on an error. Um, by the first baseman Holman for UCLA. They get the hits they needed to uh, with Bryce Martin Grudzalonic having a sack fly, Carson Wells having a single. Um, and then it comes down to the ninth inning and Garrett Clark shuts down UCLA and, and gets off the mound in a big moment. And then USC ends up capitalizing with Cole Gabrielson. Um, so really to me, it was the three phases where after the second kind of thought USC was kind of left for dead after UCLA took that that big first lead of the game, but they didn't give up and they ended up winning the series. Yeah, Blake Sauterson was terrific for five innings. Now, afterwards, Andy Stankiewicz basically said hey, he was okay, um, which uh, kind of tells you, you know, the expectation they have for him. You know, they expect him to be a guy. He went five innings, scoreless, uh, gave up two hits, I think it was, um, and a couple walks, six Ks. So he was really good for them. Interesting that they made the move there uh, to put him on the Sunday in the, as a Sunday starter rather than Eric Hammond. He'd basically been piggybacking with Eric Hammond, the, fr- the redshirt freshman. Um, they you said that they Eric Hammond was warming up, so it doesn't sound like it was an injury or anything. He was warming up late in the game, so maybe we'll see him later today when USC is playing their Tuesday game. Maybe he'll get that start. We'll see if those roles have been switched, if that's permanent, if that's a one-week thing. Uh, we'll see how that kind of goes. You know, Hammond had faced UCLA earlier this year. Maybe that played into it. A lot of question marks there. Uh, maybe we'll see if we can get some answers a little bit later on that. But, yeah, I think it was USC dominated for five minutes. And then suddenly things start to unravel a little bit. And I think it showed the moxie, the fortitude of this team that, all right, you've given up five runs, a big hit, and it felt like you had chances to get out of it. You know, you got the big strikeout of, of, uh, of Malika Knight, um, and then there's an infield single. And then you load the bases. Now you get a 
big hit by Karos. You've been holding him down all weekend, like you said. It felt like that was going to be the the you know the straw to break the back. But USC responds. Now UCLA gave them an opportunity with the ball that went through the the by the first baseman. Now it would have been they would have had a runner at second at least, and you know put, potentially would have still scored a run in that inning. But you know this gives them a chance to score multiple runs. They tie the game, and then it was back and forth. Like it really felt like. It was going to be more who loses the game more than who wins the game for a little bit there, the seventh, eighth inning, because you had the air there. You had Garrett Clark spiking the ball on a bunt attempt. So now UCLA has two runners on the eighth inning and couldn't do anything. You know, it didn't feel like anybody was about to win the game. It felt like somebody was going to give it away for that. But that would end up not being the case. Uh, Clark gets out of another jam in the in the ninth, and the offense comes through in the, in the bottom of the ninth for USC. And Cole Gabrielson just gets it over John John Vaughn's head. Because that's actually a catch that I saw John 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 make last year in the Pac-12 tournament in left field. He made basically the same exact catch where he threw his glove kind of up at the last minute and he made the grab. So I was kind of expecting that might end up being the case. Um, so that ended up being the the big hit there. USC gets the walk off win. Everyone celebrates. Everyone has fun. And now USC will move to where they stand. USC now is 24, 14, and one overall. They're now 11 and seven in Pac-12 play. Tied for third place with Oregon. They're two and a half games back of ASU, who had a big series win uh, against Oregon State in a back-and-forth matchup. That was a great series. But perhaps most notably for USC, they've now taken series from Stanford, a top-10 team, and UCLA, who was a top-25 team. They slid out of our rankings this week. But the two teams that were picked to finish 1-2 in the Pac-12 preseason poll, USC has taken those wins. So that tells you about the staying power. It's not – Oh, this team was hot and they got into the rankings and it's you now they they've been terrible and fallen out. No, this is Stanford and, and UCLA who have a ton of talent and USC has won both those series. That is really something that stands out to me. Now they still have to go on the road and make some noise too, and we'll see if they can do that this weekend. But a big opportunity too going on the road playing at Washington because they are up to number 62 in the RPI. They moved up 15 spots this week, moved up a couple spots with CSUN, slid back down after losing the Friday game, after getting the two wins, up 15 spots from where they were last week at this point. So number 62 in the RPI, still a little bit of work to, to do. You know, if they can get inside the top 50, you feel really comfortable as they're getting in to the NCAA tournament for sure. Um, we still have at D1 Baseball, you know, even after they got swept by Oregon State, we still were confident that they would be a team that could make it a regional and still left them in the field. I think they'll be in the field again this week when uh, when uh, Aaron and Kendall and um, uh, Nerdmaster General Mark Etheridge you know, put together our field of 64. But USC right now is a regional team. They're a regional caliber team. They've shown that. They've won in different ways. They've got stars potential um, with Austin O'Vern and Cole Gabrielson. Their pitching has been fantastic on Friday and Saturdays, and the bullpen is doing enough as well. So, you know, there's still some weaknesses, some areas that you would like to see them clean up a little bit. But right now, USC is an NCAA tournament team with a month to go before the end of the regular season. Now, what are they doing in the last month? This is the crunch time. You know, have they, you know, can guys take off or do guys run into a wall? I say that every year about freshmen, you get to about two thirds of the way through the season. This is the most games you've ever played as far as high school season, whatever. So what does Austin O'Vern do? Does he, all right, I've got this all figured out. I see how pitchers attack me and you still, you take another jump or my body just gets worn down. I'm not used to this, the wear and tear of this long of a season. And you start to decline a little bit. Um, you see that the, the freshmen usually kind of take, you go one way or another. So, 
where does Austin O'Vern fit in that? And obviously because he's such a fire starter for USC. And I've had, I was texting with some coaches this week that have played USC recently. And that was multiple guys said, I asked them, you know, who stood out to you? And it was Austin O'Vern. That guy sets the table. That guy's a fire starter. That guy is, he makes it, he's the the straw that that makes the drink or stirs the drink. So, you know, a lot of different analogies to say, and Austin O'Vern is what has made this offense go. So if he hits a wall, USC could be in trouble. So we'll see where they go there um, and see if they can get a little bit more depth in that bullpen to ease some of those repetitions off of some of those uh, prime guys. But let's look forward to this week. Today they're going to be playing UC San Diego. They're 22-15. and 15. They were early season Big West Conference leader. They got out of the shoot really well. Uh, this is their second year, I think, in, uh, in the Big West, maybe third year, in transitioning to D1 from D2. And have been a bit of a surprise and a bit of a darling with the way they started, but they're coming off a rough weekend. They got swept by UC Santa Barbara. So this is a big opportunity for them to kind of bounce back. So we'll see this, the same thing, both of these opponents they face this week is kind of a, all right, we'll see if they can bounce back after, you know, some, some struggles and they'll be looking for a big opportunity or a big win to do that. And USC is kind of that right now as a, you know, an NCAA tournament caliber team. So uh, anything that stands out to you about UC San Diego? Well, yeah, this is a team that has a similar roster to the team that they had that beat USC last year. So I think it'll be an interesting game. One thing that stands out to me, they've only played seven games on the road, which I think is is surprising. So, you know, they're going to be coming to, to, to Dado Field and having to play on the road. And they're only two and five in those seven games so far. Um, but they've, they've got some guys who who hit against USC last year and they're returning. You have Matthew Halbach, who was actually a high school teammate of mine. You have... Uh, Michael Furman, Crew, uh, Crew Robinson, I believe his name is. So they've got some guys that hit against USC last year. So it's just going to be whether the offense can take over. And the big thing that I'm looking at, for USC at least, is who is starting on Tuesday? Are you going to throw Ebner back out there again? Do you have trust in Agassi to start? Is it Eric Hammond who didn't start on Sunday? So now is, is he maybe going to be your Tuesday starter? If Soderston moves forward as the, the Sunday starter, that's kind of the big question for me is how is USC after this really stressful weekend where everyone was leaned on, who's going to pitch on Tuesday? And then USC will get on the road. They're going to go to Seattle to play Washington. Beautiful ballpark from what I've been told. I've never actually been up there, um, but you always have the chance of rain. We'll see how that plays out uh, anytime you're playing in Seattle. They're playing a Washington team similar to USC as a first-year head coach. Jason Kelly returned to Washington after being, you know, he's been a long-time pitching coach. He'd been at Washington when they went to the College World Series, I think in 2016. Um, or 2017. I get all my years mixed up with with those type things. Uh, but he went to uh, Arizona State. He went to LSU. He was on the the, the pitching coach for the, that LSU team last year. Comes back, gets the head coaching job. One of my favorite guys to talk to as well. But they're in a bit of a, uh, a struggle right now. They had a big series win at UCLA earlier in the year. Um, and we're really riding high, but they've lost three Pac-12 series in a row. You know, they had a chance against Stanford this weekend. They split the first two games. Kiefer Lord is the Pac-12 pitcher of the year. It's a great name, by the way. It's also great stuff. He's up to 97-98. He's a, you know, he's a big boy, big body, and he flings that thing. Um, and he was really good early in the season. He had some struggles, and then obviously had a really good week against Stanford. And a, they have an elite offense, so to shut them out for eight innings like he did, I think he struck out nine or ten or eleven, something like that. Um, yeah, big thing. But I feel like they're playing with their backs against the wall right now. So, you know, after three series losses in a row, they need to make their mark. 
their RPI is down around the in the 60 area, 70 area. So they need to make some ground up as well. So I, I think this is a, a team that uh, you know is kind of a kind of back to a corner. Let's see how they respond. What stands out to you about the Huskies? Yeah, you know, I, you, anytime you're going against a pitcher that good on a Friday night, you're setting yourself up where if you lose on Friday night, now now you're really having to fight back to win the series. So any any time that you run into one of those, you know big arms on the mound. You have to either win the first game against them to set yourself up, or you're really going to have to adjust and play well in games two and three, which USC, I think, did a really good job of. I mean, when we talked with Andy Stankiewicz last week about, you know, what didn't go right in the Oregon State series? He said they were really failing to make adjustments when it came to the way that Oregon State was pitching them. You look at this weekend against UCLA, they struck out a decent amount of times in the first two games. I believe they struck out 10 times on Friday. They struck out, I think it was 11 times on Saturday. And you go to the Sunday game, they only struck out three times in the entire game against a lot of the same guys that UCLA threw out there that struck them out a lot on Friday. And, you know, maybe that's a testament to them taking long at bats on Friday. And then the other guys that came in on Sunday talking about Kelly Austin and Del Vecchio that maybe didn't have their kind of strikeout stuff, or it was USC making the adjustment that they needed to, to be able to win, put the ball in play on Sunday. So, you know, I think that Andy Stankiewicz, when he came on the show last week, wasn't super happy with the way USC had adjusted to the way Oregon State was pitching them. And that shows growth, given that they were able to do that just one weekend later against a really good opponent with all the rivalry stakes. USC stayed within themselves, made the adjustments that the coaching staff wanted them to. And that's, you're looking at a program where the players are bought in and they are not you know, the emotions aren't too much for them when they're at home, but now it's just going to be going on the road. And can you continue to grow? I think, you know, they've, they've showed that they can just a matter of, can they keep doing it and maybe have to bounce back again from a really, a really good Friday starter for Washington. Well, Kiefer Lord started on Saturday against, uh, against Stanford. So it's interesting because he actually didn't pitch the week before he got roughed up against Arizona um, Easter weekend didn't pitch the next week, and so it was kind of like, okay, they're bringing him back, but where do they want to slot him? Because he'd been their Friday guy at the beginning of the season. You know, with Easter weekend, things kind of got mixed up a little bit. Stu, they, they feel like they have two aces and Stu Fleisland as well, um, and he was really good against Stanford as well. Took a loss. I think it was a, a one nothing game or a 2 nothing game in, in the Friday game, uh, but, you know, he pitched very well for them. So they've got two guys at the front that can give, you know, can win any series on their own. And, you know, the question for USC for me is, all right, can you to take care of business on the Sunday, take care of the Sunday guy, get one of the ones against those. Because really, when you go on, on the road, you want to win the series. That's your goal. You want to win the series. And if you, you want to sweep at home, win the series on the road. That's your goal each week. Um, at, but if they can keep Will Simpson down, Will Simpson's an older player. He's been around for a while. He's leading the team. He's leading Washington, 13 home runs. But he struggled recently. Stanford really shut him down. He was one for 15 on the weekend. Um, he's only had one multi-hit game in the last three weeks. So he's a guy that's got big league pop and, you know, can really turn things around. He's an emotional leader for him, too. He's, he's one of my favorite guys watching Washington because he got ejected for a game for at the very beginning of the season for doing nothing. He hit a bomb and just, you know, hit a, a minor bat flip and somehow got ejected from the game. But then at UCLA, when they win the opener of that series, I believe it was, maybe it was a Saturday game, he's on the Pac-12 network and drops an F-bomb on, on accident. So, yeah, I, lo- I love that this kid. He's just – he's emotional uh, and he's letting it go. Um, and he's he's kind of the heartbeat of their team, I think. Him and Giant Tincher is an older catcher as well who's uh, really good behind the dish. 
But Cam Clayton's another guy to keep an eye on. If you're watching this series, if you go up to Seattle, if you're in Seattle and you're listening, uh, keep your eye on Cam Clayton. He's a future. He's got a future potential as a big leaguer. Uh, he just gets hits all the time. You know, he's got a little bit of pop too. So he's a guy that they were really high on in the fall, and that has followed through. So those are the guys to kind of watch with Washington as well. But we'll see if the Trojans can build off this weekend's rivalry weekend going forward. You know, they had that momentum coming off of it, all that emotion. Now, can you reset and get back to work, or is that the is that the high point of your season? You know, that's that's the one thing you have to worry about a little bit when you have a team that is having its first success, and that's what USC is. All right, when you have a big moment, can you move past it and continue to work, or do you get lost in that moment and take you a little bit to rebound? I think that's where we're going to be watching this week. Uh, but for us, we need to slow our momentum down, Jack. So we're going to take it a break before we hope to have USC pitching coach Seth Edwin join us. Anything else you wanted to add about what's coming up this week or, you know, what's coming, what you saw from uh, USC and UCLA this weekend? Yeah. I mean, I, for some reason coming to my head right now, this, this feels like the point, a similar point in the USC football season last year where they beat UCLA in the Rose bowl. They have to come back and have that Corey Foreman interception late. And we're like, this could be, this could be the highlight of the season and it would still be a successful season for USC, but they do have Notre Dame coming up. And we were saying, you know, they could be, you know, riding that emotional high and Notre Dame can come in and, and beat USC in the Coliseum, or they could double down and they can keep growing as a team and beat Notre Dame, put themselves in a really good position. This kind of feels like that similar spot where it, it is your year one under Andy Stankwitz. You just had this huge big win. They could end up not making the NCAA tournament and it would still be a very successful season. And you'd be able to look back at this moment and say, hey, look, we did that. But they could also keep growing and and go to you know bigger heights than we imagined in year one, like they ended up doing in football. So for some reason, I, that that kind of uh, combination is is sticking out to me right now, and that's kind of the same feeling I had at this point in the fall. Great point. And anytime we can rope in a little USC football, we'll do that as well. Uh, but Jack, let's jump to our break real quick, and then hopefully we'll get a USC pitching coach Seth Edison to join us, and we'll talk a little bit uh, about uh, what he saw from the Trojans this week. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors and also please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them in at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put Dato Download or Baseball Pod in the headline to make sure it gets directed to Jack and I. Uh, you can even request for someone to be our future guest on the show. We have a special guest today. As Seth Etherton is set to join the Dato Download podcast a former Trojan great. Etherton was USC's ace for multiple years, becoming a three-time All-American. I don't know if you guys realize, that's not easy to do. He helped lead the Trojans to their last national championship in 1998, named the National Pitcher of the Year after winning a ridiculous 18 games and striking out 182 batters, which was a USC and Pac-12, uh, a Pac-10 record at the time. You can thank Mark Pryor for coming along a couple of years later and rewriting the record books, but Seth held it for a couple of years there. Uh, he became a first-round pick and spent nearly 15 years playing professionally, making his MLB debut with the Angels in 2000. And after his playing days were done, Seth went on to into coaching. He'd been coaching professionally in the minor leagues until Andy Stankiewicz decided to bring Seth home, hiring him as the Trojans pitching coach last summer. Under Edson, the Trojans pitching staff has exceeded expectations and I'd say by a bunch. They are top 40 in the nation in ERA, whip, hits per nine, walks per nine. We'll talk to him about some of his key contributors as well as his transition back to the college game. But with that, let's bring in USC pitching coach Seth Edson. Seth, thanks for taking the time to join us. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I told my coach, Jack, that I was jealous of him because he got to be at Dado for a packed house rivalry matchup. And it's been a while since the place has had a crowd like that. What did you think about the atmosphere this weekend? 
Uh, it was electric. You know, you, you get the Trojan band there. You get, you know, everything that kind of encompasses what USC baseball is all about and just the tradition of being a Trojan. Um, a lot of other athletes were here. So it was it was great. And just to see the support and it, 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 was, it was buzzing, man. It, it was a good time to just kind of be a part of it again. And, um, you know, as we kind of so-called rebuild this thing, I think we're doing some really good things. I think um, we're getting some people really excited about what we're doing. You know, obviously a tough Friday, you know, you, but you guys rally back, losing the series opener and then win the next two games, earn that big series win. What was your biggest takeaway from the weekend about how the team responded to how everything played out? You, you know, Friday, it, it was tough. I, I don't think we really showed up and played the way we're used to playing, um, you know, and, and it was a challenge to them. I, I think the coaching staff, especially me with, with the pitching side, I challenged them. I challenged them to say, hey, what do we got? What are we going to do? That wasn't us. How are we going to step up today and do it? And Kate Naoki stepped up and just showed the way and, um, you know, his, his confidence that he exudes and his and just the way he goes about his business, you know, it showed up. I think that really kind of um, set the tone for the next two games where guys, you know, felt like, hey, how can I one up them? How can I do this thing? And that, that's one thing that we do here is we, we, we challenge each other. We, we want to be the best. And, I, and I, I tell these guys, hey, if you don't want to be the best here, then why are you here? If you don't want to be the best pitcher on the staff, why are you here? Um, so, you know, the more we kind of raise our level on a day-to-day basis of our work and how we get better, either mentally or physically, it all just, it's just going to continue to raise everyone else's game every single day. And, um, I tell them we're getting better every day. You come with a plan to do that. Let me help you out with it. And then we'll go. It's an individual based program to bring our, our unit together as a pitching staff and, um, just bringing in that, that into UCLA from a Friday to a Saturday, Sunday. Um, I think they stepped up. So that was, that was most, um, most important to me and then, and, you know, not so surprising, but um, I was proud of them. Yeah, it, it's interesting because that hasn't been the reputation of the USC teams in the past. It's been, you know, the last decade or so is that, you know, they are not mentally tough. You know, they can be a little bit soft. They're the Orange County kids or whatever it may be um, from the outside looking in. So has it been a challenge to to come in and, you know, really challenge them? Or have they kind of accepted that and, you know, kind of grown from the, the way you've kind of attacked it that way? You know, I, I think, you know, Coach Stankwood stepped in and um, said from the very get-go, this is how we're going to do things. If you don't like it, then leave. This is how we're going to do it. If you don't like it, you don't want to be part of this, you're not going to buy in, then please do us all a favor. And um, it, I think they all respected it. I think from the get-go, they knew it was going to be a very drastic change. Um, but I think one thing they also realized is that we truly, deeply care about our players. And we work extremely hard on a day-to-day to develop them, to – you know, again, from the mental and uh, physical side of things, their skill sets, being able to just really enhance what they can do. And now you start to see this this build of of confidence, a day to day. And and I, I think one of the biggest words, things that we go by, especially on the pitching staff, is our accountability. I talk about it almost on a daily basis with our guys on holding each other accountable and holding me accountable. I mean, you have experience on that College World Series team, and I'm just curious, you know, what are some of the special characteristics, you know, be it tangible or intangible, that it takes to to be, you know, a national contender, even get that College World Series title? And do you see those characteristics starting to form, you know, with, with you coming in and Andy coming in? You know, I do. Um, you know, we can revert back to, you know, September when we first started kind of getting going, kind of where they were. I mean, this, this, this is a... This is a pitching staff um, that hasn't been successful. They haven't been. Um, we brought some good key components of the Sodderstons, the, the Okies. They came from other programs, so they kind of understood. And 
and the guys that are returning know they, they some of the guys transferred in uh, prior to this year and um, they know what they want. They know what that needs to happen. So when you see these characteristics of just a little skepticism, um, yeah, it was kind of hard to break through, but once they understood exactly where I come from and, and my honesty and, and what I expect of them every day, you know, I'm on them. I'm going to be on them. And I think they want me to be on them and just be on them on from every catch catch throw that they make from every dry rep they do from how we go about our, 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 our running, how we go about our weightlifting, how we go about in the classroom, how we go about everything. Everything revolves around what you do on performance day. If you have everything else in check, you're prioritized, you're organized and you have your goals. It makes things a lot easier. And again, it's, it's the preparation and understanding that practice is work game is to play. And they, they understand that. And, and I'm on them and I want them to work so hard that when that game comes, it's easy. And they just, they just trust and let it, let it go. The, the classic Pete Carroll model of, uh, you know, the, the practices being easier than the games. Uh, it, it, I think all players want – your best players want to be coached and want to be challenged that way. Um, it's just the consistency of seeing their coaches, knowing that it's going to be every single person and not just selecting a few uh, along the way. Um, speaking of special players, uh, I talked to Ian Kennedy last year, and, you know, uh, he said it's been tough for him in the major league locker rooms when people start talking about their colleges and they don't really understand how good USC used to be what would it mean for you to to be a part of turning around this program and returning it to its former glory? You know, it, that's um, that's near and dear to my heart. You know, this this last week, and we brought back our 25 year anniversary team from '98, and it was just great seeing everyone. And and honestly, since um, Andy took the job, and with with Travis Jewett and Andy Jenkins and Sergio, we we've come about that the alumni is extremely important to us. We need to get them reinvolved. We got to get them caring and wanting to be here because that's what drives this program. That's the legacy. That's the tradition of these alumni from the previous national championship guys um, all the way to the guys that just got done playing here. I mean, everyone needs to be involved in this. So, you know, it, it's really just a, it's it's about bringing back tradition, having people believe in it and knowing that this program is the greatest program in the history of college baseball. And they have to know. And I don't I don't think they've been educated on it. I don't know if they really understand what it means to wear this hat and this jersey. And, you know, all the legacy has come before us all the way. You know, so you're talking about Fred Lynn, the Maguires, the Johnsons, you know, the Seavers. I mean, it's like they're like, oh, my gosh, they didn't really know. But then you look at a large new part. It's like, man, look at this guy. That's a Trojan, you know, from Duda to to Randy Flores. It's like, man, that, that that's the assistant GM for the St. Louis Cardinals. You know, so it's like. The Trojans are out there. We just need to be educated more about it. I need to be more educated about it. And I just want to make sure these guys understand how much of a privilege it is to wear this this uniform and this hat and to know what an education is from USC, what the worth is of that. There was a guy out there with you on, on that celebration that was wearing the other uniform. You know, was it weird, you know, facing off and seeing, you know, former pitching coach John Savage out there as the head coach for UCLA? You, you know what? Um, it's a challenge. You know, obviously what he's done over the years has been – fantastic you know I, I give him a ton of credit he's a fantastic pitching coach now he's a head coach um and, and we're still very close uh, as friends and he's helped me along the way with the coaching side of things and um even as a player playing professionally and reaching out to him and, and whatever I can do to help him in any way and he's the same for me so um it's it's great I mean we're we're baseball guys we're pitching guys and we we like to compete, but, you know, before and after games, it's, you know, we're friends, but when the game starts, we compete. And um, yeah, I think he has a chip on his shoulder. I have a chip on my shoulder. We want to go at it against each other and um, it's fun, but 
you know, in terms of any kind of weirdness or anything like that, no, it's, it's John Savage, my buddy. So it's good. John's been one of the best pitching coaches on the West Coast for a long time, as well mm-hmm. as, you know, leading UCLA in the national championship 10 years ago. What elements from his coaching style do you feel like you've incorporated, uh, you know, as, as a pitching coach now? Um, yeah, I, I think for me, you know, when I was here with him as a player, it, it's just attention to the detail, making sure that, that you really do hold yourself accountable and how you go about your business. And that's one thing as I've kind of gone through my professional career, it becomes more um, announced, so to speak, you know, where it's just like, hey, it's more evident each day when you do these things like, oh, okay. Now that makes sense. You know, at the time you're just going through your battle and competing, but now you get the pro level. It's every day you're working on something. Um, and it's more, you know, individualized, so to speak. But when, once you kind of have that ingrained in you and, and learning really about yourself, um, I think that's probably the most important thing with, with Coach Savage, what, what he's done for me and, and just having really me understand who I am and what I can do. One of the most interesting things to me, at least w- with pitching coaches, is is some of the decisions about how they handle a pitcher during the game. You know, when are you going to go out there and talk to him? And I remember back earlier in the season, I think it was the the San Diego State series on a Sunday. You know, Eric Hammond had two runners on. It was the first inning, and you went out there to talk to him. After that, he really barreled down, had one of the best starts of his career. I- I'm just curious, when you're in the dugout, what are you looking for? And, you know, where's that turning point where you go out, you make the decision to go out and talk to someone? And, and what do you normally say? Is it different with every pitcher? Or it's, you know, there's something that when you see it, you got to go out there and talk to them. Yeah, that that's one thing. Um, everyone's different. How they move, how they throw, what they present in their mentalities, their temperaments, everyone's different. So that's my job that I feel is the most important job for me is to really establish really good relationships so these young men can understand who I am and how I work to their individual needs. And um, with Eric, he, he, he's tough. He wants, he's come back from surgery. He just wants to be the best. And he works extremely hard. So the way I speak to Eric is going to be a little different than how I speak to someone else. That's just the way it is. And, but he receives me that way. He knows that I come from a place of just pure care and want the best for him. Um, can I repeat what I said to him? I cannot. However, he found, he, he it resonated with him. He understood what I was talking about. And, um, hey, he buckled down. You know, that comes down to accountability. If you're going to be a starting pitcher for the USC Trojans, you have a lot of accountability. You are expected to do certain things. And um, I hold them extremely accountable. And, um, you know, being being a former starting pitcher here, I knew what I was expected to do, and I hold the same regard to these young men as well. We've got a couple of starting pitchers who try had loose a little stretches of some Seth Etherton uh, pitching uh, out there. Uh, Kate Naoki has been spectacular the last you know six weeks or so. Tyler Strongsborg had you know four or five weeks in a row. Uh, let's start with Aoki. You know he's allowed two earned runs his last twenty nine or third innings since coming back from his injury last month. What does he do that makes him so difficult to hit? Caden is a pitcher. You know he's not going to wow you with stuff, but he throws four pitches for strikes. Um, and with him, you know, I told him kind of during the fall when we we're getting into the spring, it's like it almost feels like I kind of play Nintendo with him. That, that's like <laughs> how it is because I know he's going to execute. I know he has the confidence. And this guy absolutely competes. He gets after he's got so much confidence up there and it feeds to the rest of the team. And um, it's very impressive. He, he's a bad man on the mound. You know, he gets after it and he knows what he's doing he, and he works hard. He knows his craft and he knows himself so well that there's no wavering his confidence. And um, it, it's a really, really good thing. It's great to see it from such a young man as well. Um, and and it's, it, it does it, it, you know, through that osmosis, some of the guys start feeling that, oh, okay, wow, watch him. And I, I challenge you, I just watch what, how he goes about his business. Just watch what he does. 
See how he just he's locked in. And he holds himself accountable. He gets mad when he doesn't do things her way. And that's good because that's the work part of it. In the game, he knows he's prepared mentally and physically. He knows he's getting to do. He knows his weapons and how he's going to how he's going to go against him. So um, he trusts it. I think that, that that bond and trust of me calling pitches, all my guys are free to shake. But I think, you know, we, we established kind of what we're doing here. And um, I think he he's learned some things about himself, which I'm really happy about. And, you know, he's he's weaponized for sure. What's the dynamic like having a big brother on the team too? You know, as his, his backstop mate, you know, uh, his battery mate. What, what's that been like uh, having Connor there as well? Well, I mean, we can joke about it all the time and, you know, having a good time, you know. Um, Connor's great. You know, he, he's another guy who's very confident and um, – you know, he, he's got a voice in this clubhouse, voice on the field. And having him with Kate, I think, gives Caden a, a sense of kind of, hey, I have the utmost support from from my brother. And my brother wants to catch me. My brother is there for me no matter what. And um, it's a really cool dynamic to see. Yeah, both of those guys you know, have said they're born in a Trojan household, wanted to come play at USC. Of course, you know, Caden ends up at Notre Dame, uh, Connor's at Binghamton. When you guys are going out to recruit and, and all these kids that have grown up in Southern California, you know, grown up on USC, does it make it easy for you guys to say, hey, we want you to come over here when you know that, you know, they they know what the USC program is, you know, that you, you know they have grown up wanting to go to USC. Um, do, do you feel like in Southern California, these are the kind of kids where you guys go out there and, and you feel like you don't have to sell them too much because of the brand? Well, you know what, you know, in regards to those two, I, th- I think Caden was in a in a spot to where he wanted to come home, which was great. And his brothers being able to transfer in, I think he wanted to come home. It was great. So I think the timing worked out really well for them. Um, and I obviously I think with, with, with Stanky coming in and bringing in this coaching staff, it's all, it's all kind of making sense. And, and I think our number one goal here is, hey, we are USC. And what we're doing here is we are going to get the best players. We are. You know, our coaching staff and our experience and what we do and how, what we believe, we need to get the best players from Southern California. And um, I, I think, you know, with in terms of like Caden and Connor, it's it's one of those things. They believe what we said. And now it's just kind of come to fruition to where, hey, these guys held their word. And, yeah, this is the right choice for me. And, um, you know, obviously the USC education, I mean, above and beyond it's 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 it really is amazing here and um the atmosphere environment our little oasis here in 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 southern california and more so in downtown la so there's a lot of things going for us and um for caden and connor to be able to come back home and and do those things and be around his parents and grandparents it's been it's been great you mentioned uh you know the recruiting aspect and trying to get the best players that's often the most challenging part of you know mm-hmm. someone who goes from the professional ranks to back to the college ranks and you know USC's had struggles with that in the past with Chad Cruder when he came in you know would had had some really got great guys committed and they end up signing of course so uh what's been the the biggest challenge for you you know making that jump from the professional ranks and being in the minors with the Reds organization for 6 7 years to to now being at the college level you know it is a challenge. There are a lot of factors that go into this. Um, obviously, the expense, the 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 scholarship allotment, the you know the financial aid. Then there's hey, it's downtown LA. Are you a city person? Um, you know, it's there. There are challenges, and no matter where you are when you recruit, um, you know, it's trying to get the best players. Yes, you know, we talk about all the time. We're going after the best athletes. We want the best athletes because we know we we trust ourselves and our ability to develop 
that if we get the best athletes and they believe in what we're doing, we're going to be really, really good. And um, we have a great class coming in this next fall, the following year, 24 class. we got some really dynamic players coming in. So we're really excited. Again, it, it's all about them believing on what we're doing. And um, I think it's it's starting to, you know, starting to open some eyes here and, and realizing that Coach Stankowitz knows what he's doing. He, he's done a great job at GCU, and now he's at SC, and now we're doing some things. And then we have, you know, Travis Jewett. He's a six-year head coach at Tulane. Holy cow, you know. And then you know, the other two assistants, it's just just a wealth of knowledge and experience and success. So, um, again, we are who we are. We're going to do what we do. And, um, again, we're, we're just we're going to be good. You guys have some, you know, some other righty starters. You know, I know we talked about Caden. We've talked about Eric, but you know, Stromsborg's a guy that went out there, Pac-12 pitcher of the week earlier in the season. Struggled a little bit more recently. What's what's the biggest key to getting him back and locked in down the stretch? You know, you know, Tyler. Um, just working with him in the fall, there were some delivery issues that didn't allow him to repeat efficiently and stay in the zone. His misses were too big. They're non-competitive. So we, what we really did was just kind of strip it all down. Let's get back to who he really is. And a lot of it was just understanding, you know, what his arsenal can be. And, you know, if they want to talk about pitch profile and all this stuff, fine, we can. Let's let's talk about working inside the zone. You know, let's work inside the zone. Let's talk about pitching. You know, the analytics are one thing. Yeah, there's some information. There's some tools. But for him, it's all about him understanding who he is and what he's capable of doing. And, um, again, we simplified the delivery. We, we got him staying a little taller, creating a little better weight transfer in his delivery. Um, cleaned up his front side to, to allow him to be a little more directional, hinging forward over his uh, front knee better, staying behind the ball longer, which allowed him to actually get through his natural arm path, which is a kind of like that th- lower three-quarter slot with a little uh, wrist manipulation there um, that he does naturally that uh, kind of ran into, hey, a two-seamer is actually better for you, not trying to you know throw four-seamers up in the zone where you flatten out and you spin off the ball. So he's bought in, he's done it. And he's worked extremely hard. He asks great questions. He's, he's a great student of the game and he just wants to be the best. And, um, you know, there, there's been the, uh, the ups and downs um, from the fall till now, but again, he's learning about himself and that probably is the most important thing. And he understands my expectation of him being a Friday night guy. And, um, you know, I stick my finger in his chest every now and then and, you know, Hey, prove it. Let's go. What do you got? And so he, he's stepped up to the challenge and, Give him all the credit in the world. He, he's a four-pitch guy now that throws them all for strikes. Now he's starting to understand sequencing, understand hitter swings. And now when we talk between innings, we're like, aha, okay, now we got this. So, again, it, it's just the development piece of this that's, that's so important, and these guys are really gravitating to. You have another Friday night guy on the, the staff. Blake Sauterson was a Friday guy at CSUN for part of his career there. Before yes. the season, I said he actually might be the most important arm on the staff this season because of his ability – to kind of be a flex option. You know, you use him in the bullpen, and you guys have used him in a lot of different ways. How valuable has he been, and do you have a defined role for him going forward, or is it going to continue kind of being your chess piece that you, you mix and match? You know, I want him to solidify a spot. Um, you know, we need to win the series, and right now he's our Sunday starter. That's what he's going to be. He he did a good enough, He did a great job the other day against UCLA, five shutout, and um, we have things we need to work on this week. You know, we're not going to settle for what he did. Um, and he realizes that. So we're going to, we're going to get to work today again. Um, but yeah, he's our Sunday guy. And, and I expect, again, as being one of our stars here, I expect a lot. And, um, I challenge him mentally on anything. He's so physically talented and strong and athletic. That he's probably one of the strongest guys on our team in any kind of just 
athletic movement or plyometric. I mean, the guy's a horse and, um, you know, now it's just him kind of really, for me, it's just him believing on how good he really can be and taking that, that energy and that focus to every pitch that he, that he, that he throws and, and just trusting and just letting it eat. I mean, a lot of talk about the starters. I think maybe the biggest spot on the, the whole team taking a big jump this year is in that is in the bullpen. You know, every guy seeming to take that next step this year and, and you know move up one role higher in the pen. What's allowed them to take such a big leap this year? I think it's trust. These guys are trusting me now. They 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 think they they're starting to understand who they are, what they're capable of doing. And again, my accountability on them every day is to show up with a plan. And if they don't, they they'll hear it. And but they get it. They they know what their routines are now. They know how organized they, they need to be, how they prepare is everything in this game. Um, our staff's been around too long to to let this not be, you know, at the full front of our attention. And so um, these guys have been really good. You know, I, I think we've got them in roles that <clears throat> allow them to succeed. I think they know their roles, which I think is extremely important. You know, we've got Clark at the back end for saves. We've got Wish as a setup guy. We've got Connolly as that flex guy that can kind of come in and out, situational guy. We've got Blum and Johnson can be the long guy. Blum can be a one-plus guy. You know, so there's, I mean, Spock's starting to really show up now and do some some special things. Hoop and Garner's come in at times and done some good things. So um, we, we we have we have a bag here that that can be really good. And, again, it's just pushing them mentally and physically each day of work to let them know, Hey, get your work done, get it done. Right. Trust it. And just be as confident as possible. And, um, you know, we have our, our mantra we go by every day and, um, they believe in it and and they're on it. So it, it's been fun to watch. Last one before we let you get out of here, you know, three of those guys have already got 20 appearances. Garrett Clark's not far behind with 18, all four of it have been outstanding for you, but is there any concern about them wearing down the final month? You know, this is the time of year when sometimes that does happen. And how big would it be to add another reliable arm or two to give those guys an extra day off uh, here and there? Yeah. You know, it's, you know, I, I predicate all my, um, my teachings and the games and slots and everything through health, you know, throughout my career, I've been injured and it's not fun. I've been through the mental and the physical with that. So, Hey, if they need a day, they get a day. They need two days. Let me know. We can get that done. Let me, let me help them. Um, yes. The workload is extremely important. Um, so during our, our catch play each day, if I see something, I'm like, Hey, I'm not liking this. Let's just back off a little bit or Hey, me, me a little, little, little kick in the butt say, Hey, we need to get through this a little bit better. Let's be a little more aggressive. So there's that fluctuation of understanding when to step on the gas and when, you know, to pull the, the, the foot off a little bit. So, um, but again, it all boils down to our communication, our relationships to the individual. If they're, they need to be confident and um, trustworthy enough of me that they can say, Hey Seth, you know what? Can I get a day? I'd be like, thank you. Absolutely. You know, if everyone does their job, we'll have enough pitching to, to take care of all this stuff. And, you know, I've had at least one of the pitchers, uh, one of the older pitchers tell me that you've been the best pitching coach they've ever had. So, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of positive results. And Seth, we appreciate you taking the time to join us on the Dato Download Podcast. That's going to wrap it up for this edition, though, guys, part of the Parastyle Podcast family here. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratlin, saying thank you to everyone uh, that has been listening, everyone that's going to submit that review here later. And thanks so much for, for Seth for joining us and, and taking the time to, to join us. Uh, please like, share, subscribe, leave that review, and I hope you can join us for the next episode of the Dato Download Podcast.